Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 254th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast whose hosts are more than a little familiar with snow-covered permanence. MGG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MGG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Uh, our show is produced by... MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what do we have on the agenda this week other than insurrection and misery? Mm. Well, uh, this week I figured we'd start with segment 1, our MTGO metagame week in review, dip into Pioneer and Modern. Uh, Segment 2, our top paper movers with the the healthy list of paper cards that have seen some good price movement this week, followed up by the MTGO movers that have also moved in price this week. Segment three, our paper cards to watch, some stuff James and I think has a positive outlook on life, and a user pick, somebody who won $25 of CSI credit. And uh, segment four, our topic of the week, the Kaldheim spoilers are here. They're ready for discussion, and we're going to chat about all the snow permanence, which uh, the more I look at is a dumb mechanic, but it's what we've got. So we're going to run with it. Uh, our Medigame Week in Review here, kicking off over on the Pioneer Challenge side of things. Uh, we have uh, some more Reclamation builds floating around in here, some more Omnath, some more Red White Aggro. Um, so relatively familiar list there, but I do see a Mono Green Planeswalker list at the top here, which is... Uh, I I, we've seen this before, right? Do I just discover this every time we talk about it? Because pretty, mu- I, pretty much, I see yeah. the name written down, and I'm like, do I remember reading about this? But now that I say it out loud, I remember seeing this before. It was so, one of the earliest dominant archetypes in Pioneer heading into winter of 2020 because the combination of Karn, Nyssa, and Vivian, uh, along with uh, Nykthos, Shrine to Nyx, made this deck very, very, very good. And it was actually one of the reasons that uh, Oath of Nyssa was banned in the format. And yet the deck survived. It's still still a viable build. Here, here we have it taking top spot. And then everything else here is pretty much a known quantity uh, as well. Sultai Reclamation in second. Teamer Reclamation in third. Four-color Omnath in fourth and sixth. Another Teamer Reclamation in fifth. And then the red-white aggro deck that popped up last week showing up in seventh and eighth. Probably the most notable uh, patterns there being that uh, the red white aggro brew is running four dread horde arcanist and four needle verge pathway uh, both cards that folks might be holding in specs yeah those are uh the dread horde arcanist we have definitely seen here a couple times people are probably getting antsy really hoping that's going to pop they are hoping that's going to pop at some point 
Now over in the Modern Challenge from uh, January 12th, we have Amulet Titan in the top spot. Uh, this has really never gone anywhere. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. been been a force to be reckoned with for years. Four-color Omnath, Omnath uh, straddling these two formats pretty much week after week. Uh, in second and sixth in this uh, top eight, green-white creature combo has also been a force to be reckoned with all year, and we see it here in third. Dredge in fourth, uh, and then Bant Uro Stoneforge Mystic in seventh. This has is not, you know, none of the cards in this list are foreign per se, but this particular configuration has some interesting tweaks, including uh, a single copy of Niambi, a card that is largely forgotten. Niambi, esteemed speaker. This is Teferi's daughter, I believe. Uh, it's a white-blue for a flash 2-1. Whenever it enters the battlefield, you may return another target creature you control to its owner's hand, and if you do, you gain life equal to that creature's converted mana cost. You can also, for one white-blue, discard a legendary card, draw two cards. I imagine this is about shenanigans with Uro. Uh, yes, that would make sense, because for, you... Well, for five mana, you put Uro on the stack, his trigger to sack himself uh, being present. You flash her in, bounce Uro back to your hand, gain six life. And then you get to play Uro again and again and again, drawing card, playing a land, etc. Yeah, and then, I mean, after that, then you can untap, discard the Uro to draw two, and, and then, then play the Uro. Right. Yeah, I mean, that honestly seems awfully cute for modern. <laughs> yep. Like, that It seems a little clunky, honestly, but maybe, it, maybe it's enough. Seems to be. They got seven. It's not bad. Yeah. The uh, not too much else of super interest there. Blue Red Prowess making a, an appearance in eighth place. We've been seeing much more of the mono red Prowess builds uh, lately in modern. Uh, this is the one that uh, puts Stormwing Entity on the map. And so it is uh, an interesting question whether this deck will survive, say, another six or 12 months, because if it does, Stormwing Entity foil extended arts might get somewhere. Mm hmm. Duh. It's a nifty card. Um, it's something that's probably been semi under people's radar. It looks like the foil extended arts are five bucks right now. Uh, I'm definitely not in a rush to pick these up, but if this hits paper and keeps up, that would that would see uh, some. This could see some decent movement. People like their blue red sort of tempo-y decks. Um, I mean, Delver Secrets is a stalwart for a reason, so. Yeah, possibly, but definitely not holding my <clears throat> breath on that. Now, moving right along over to the top paper movers of the week, segment two. Uh, it was a real busy week. Like this, this list probably could have been eighty or ninety cards long. And if you started to include some of the reserve list stuff that's been under significant pressure with Bitcoin pushing thirty to forty thousand uh, dollars, along with other key factors like. Uh, the relative lack of in-person buy listing, a lot of stores being under lockdown, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this could have been a real long list, but as it is, we've still got plenty to talk about. Kicking things off, we've got Steel Shaper's Gift at a fifth dawn, going from 23 to $30, 30% gains. This is a zero reprint card, and it hasn't been printed for a decade or more. So four of in the hammer decks that were 
top eighting modern week after week lately. And by the way, though it didn't show up in this top eight in the modern challenge, it was in the top 16, so it's not like it disappeared. Um, yeah, this is eventually going to get reprinted, and it's going to be dirt cheap again. But for the time being, you definitely want to dig these out of your binders and sell them while you can get while they're hot. I know I must have a couple of copies of these in bulk, but I just cannot bring myself to spend the hour to go looking for them. <laughs> I mean... If you find five and it takes you an hour, it was definitely worth it. The math works, but I don't know if I have the the psychic stamina the, the, to get the there. emotional capital to spend yeah. on it. Yeah. yeah, I can buy that. Uh, yeah, I mean, this just keeps climbing, and it is a card that I would be worried about having. Um, I should go look. I actually might have some of these kicking around. I don't know if I still do or not. I should there's, go look. There's also overlapping demand and commander because they printed a bunch of red, white, or red or white equipment related dwarves and so forth uh some cards in zendikar rising as well and combination of all of that is going to keep this elevated until it finally gets a reprint and it's the kind of thing that could show up in the list or something in which case Mm -hmm. it wouldn't make a huge difference or it could get reprinted in wherever the thing is that steel shaping references uh mirrodin specifically so it's tricky to just throw it into a set uh well i mean you could i feel like they could pass off steel shaper as a generic generic term if they wanted to sure if it was a priority but it may well not be yeah 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 it's it's not a huge deal of a card to get reprinted no one's you know no one's dying for it and it's not like the equipment decks are crushing the format and also terribly expensive so yeah they're not as inclined to pump them out i suppose thing is this is that's an uncommon from that set right mm-hmm. and it could be a 50 or 60 dollar uncommon if there was a modern gp this weekend wouldn't be the first time we've seen it <laughs> so lion's eye diamond at a mirrodin uh, getting another little push this card has nearly doubled since, since last winter when you get copies about 180 maybe more so if you believe this is now a 450 dollar card it's almost a triple up um Lion's Eye Diamond and Mox Diamond have both been showing steady gains uh, in between big pumps. So this kind of thing is, uh, I mean, this is this a future $1,000 card? Uh, I mean, at this rate, it's possible. I mean, that price is pretty wild. I mean, I don't think it's, at the moment, I don't think it's a $500 card. But, I mean, was it selling for $350? I mean doesn't seem unfounded it's such a uh like a, a specific odd card though that it feels like it should be it, it feels like it's hard to imagine this keeping that type of price tag on a very long time frame like if you know if legacy gets a little quieter continues to get quieter or something you know there are only four near mint copies left on tcg player and they are High 400s to 600. So somewhere between 5 and 6. It's looking like market right now. Yeah. I mean, it does make you wonder how how many... I, I don't have the inventory numbers, what what the inventory has looked like over time. Market price is sitting at 365. So this most recent gobble has... Uh, could be like crypto. Could be people making moves on the presumption that other people are going to be making moves based on crypto. Mm. hard to say for sure 
Yeah. Ice Fang, Quaddle, Foils, and Modern Horizons, 30 to 40. And I actually flagged this in the Discord yesterday, telling people this is probably headed for 60, because there, there's very few left. The ramp is real steep. I'm pretty sure my original call on these, summer of 2019, was at $12. <laughs> so I know I sold on the last pump, once people realized it was good, late summer 2019 or whatever, probably got into most of my foils in the 35 to 40 dollar range now they're back up in that range after having faded uh, for a while uh, during covid on the presumption nobody was really playing modern but now with all the snow extra snow stuff and cal time these are probably going to get another push and the bottom line is any good car any good foil from modern horizons is a lot rarer than most other foils so i'm very curious to see how the premium offerings around modern horizons 2 will be handled and whether our prediction that some of the Modern Horizons 1 cards might show up there as, for instance, VIP uh, full art box toppers or something. Because if they don't, uh, all these MH1 foils are just going to get more and more pricey. Yeah, and um, you know, Ice Fang getting that extra traction because of Kaldheim and the increase in snow permanence. I actually stumbled upon this today unrelated to this list because I was looking at the new um, Saltai God who untaps your snow permanence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, Ice Fang Coatl is a card that people will play in EDH and you get to untap it. It seems fine. And the price was already high enough that I, you know, backed off the gas a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I mean, the foils, honestly, 60 seems like it could just be a stopping point. I mean, this is a type of card where I could see foils eventually being $100. Now, that's not going to happen today. That's not going to happen next month. But, you know, without any reprints in the pipeline, it'll get there when it's uh, a modern playable card. And also there's EDH demand from just being a generically good creature and also some snow interest there. You know, you've got a couple different sources. Um, so a card to keep your eye on. I don't even know if I would sell it if I had it today. Probably would not. So we got Nicol Bolas Dragon God. This is a card that had way too many printings. And yet iconic enough creature cool enough card that some of these printings that are more rare are already on the move this is the mythic edition version from war of the spark if people recall in that one year period from the october uh 2018 into may 2019 we had three mythic editions for the three sets in question and this was the third uh, these got up to six, seven, eight hundred dollars, especially overseas, where it was harder to get these without ridiculous shipping charges pretty early on, and then retreated. And then at this point, you can get sealed versions of this uh, set of planeswalkers for I think under four hundred dollars on eBay. And something's not adding up there because if you look at the singles prices for the cards included on TCG at this point, they are well over five fifty, probably pushing six hundred to six fifty in the not too distant future on the back of gains from things like Nicol Bolas, this week going from 60 to 80 or so for 40% gains. Uh, I have a feeling this stuff's all going to dry up, and those sealed versions are going to be a miss for people that ignore them. It's kind of wild that it's got that type of price movement, just based on how many copies there are, but I guess those Mythic Editions are still popular enough. That's a good arbitrage on the sealed sets, too. Yeah, if we're looking at a gap that large. There's six copies left of TCG uh, on TCG of this card. So saying it's an $80 card, is it? I mean, there's one at 75, one at 80, one at 95, and three at 100. <laughs> so once those get bought up, this could be anywhere from a 100 to $200 card. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, hard to imagine a card with this many copies could fetch that price, but I, I, I suppose it's possible. I don't like. I'm not eager to make that bet. I don't think. But the price movement's here, so you know if you're paying sixty or seventy bucks for them, it doesn't seem like you're in too bad a shape. And and there are some. It's interesting that the singles are posted up this high. I said I'm curious how often they sell because, for instance. Nicol Bolas Dragon God has multiple versions, including the alt art Japanese version. Jace the Mind Sculptor is the big ticket item here, and that just got reprinted with the uh, borderless uh, foils in the VIP packs for Double Masters. Ugin the Spirit Dragon, of course, was reprinted in Core 21 and also appeared in here. And so when uh, those announced, the reprints were announced for in the summer and early fall folks figured this thing was kind of dead in the water on the basis that these were uh, known to be very dark in their printing and would likely not be the preferred versions thing is this stuff that is uh locked temporally meaning that it only ever came out at one specific time and was never really in vendor hands and never really had restock of any kind it just tends to drain steadily into collections because people want to complete those sets or they like to collect Jace or they like to like to collect Nicol Bolas or whatever. And so you get down to the situation where currently you have 17 listings for Jace, 21 for Ugin, 10 for Tezzeret the Seeker, which was one of my picks a ways back. That could end up currently market price on that's 50 bucks, but that could end up being a hundred dollar cart too. Uh, Nicol Bolas uh, seven listings, Nahiri the Harbinger, 37, Garrick Apex Predator at 30, and Sarkin Unbroken at 21, Gideon Blackblade, the most of any of them at 54. Interesting, interesting, interesting. It might be worth picking at snapping off a War of the Spark Mythic Edition at the cheapest possible price. Maybe dig around on Facebook, see if somebody's trying to unload one. Yeah, and now I'm kind of curious if I kind of want to go search and see if I can find any floating around. Uh, and any hidden sources people who haven't caught up on the price movement which makes me wonder i think i might have one or two of these floating around someplace do i have these listed for sale i have to go check that now make sure i don't accidentally have any of my own up i i know i sold through most of mine that i got my hands on i have one set of these singles i think sitting in the in the safe and more than happy to let them drain out for a little bit longer and see what happens what was that mythic edition that sold for a bunch of money. The first one. The second one was hard, much harder to do. Uh, the first one was the one where they only uh, distributed them via GPs after it sold out online and the website broke. And so they took the rest of the inventory and they sent small chunks of it, like two or 300 units per GP, but you can only get them every two weeks at various GPs around the world. So they were very geo-specifically located. And I was paying people off to pick them up in Quebec and France and wherever and ship them to me. And I was shorting them. The whole thing was just insane. <laughs> because I was borrowing them from people that intended to save them in their collections. Using that to sell to send to people and then replacing them with the units that would come in from overseas. I remember that because I remember you sold some. We had some in shipment and you had me ship some for you because you had sold them. Yep. And you didn't have them handy. Yep. I have to go. I have to go look. Okay. I have the Ravnica, Guilds of Ravnica one. 
That's the one it in the middle. Like... That's the tough, the, the toughest one to unload, I think. I have that one, and I thought I had some others. I'll have to go look. Whatever. Clearly some opportunities there, depending on what you can find. Worth keeping an eye on any and all premium magic cards that were single point of sale. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving right along, Brain Geyser at a revised uh, is on the reserve list. Uh, iconic card draining slowly but surely. $20 to $28. It's a playable card in EDH. Not a fantastic one, but certainly playable uh, in certain kind of decks. And people just seem intent on going after reserve list cards. Like it's the kind of thing Rudy will talk about over and over again and then buy use that platform to buy up a bunch. Yeah. I remember Brain Geyser finding this when I was very new to all of this, finding it repeatedly in collections and what have you. And I would stash it, or I would always pull it out thinking it was worth money. Uh, and then it wasn't, and it was disappointing every time. Yeah, well, it's finally getting there. Crypto Command Masterpiece Invention version. This is, uh, I guess not Invention, Invocation. This must be from uh, Amaket. Uh, going from 60 to 90, this is a steady, you see the steadily in the four-color Uro Omnath builds, uh, or sometimes they're just Omnath in Modern, and it shows up in all sorts of control decks, all-time classic control card. Uh, so not tremendously surprising a few you know a few year handful of years out from that printing to see it drying up sanctum prelit uh i buy listed some in the low 20s this week and i when you see a strong buy list it's usually a signal that the retail price is on the move and sure enough we've got uh prelate going from 20 to 30 here for 50 percent gains and could go higher uh not the card's demand pattern is not that huge but Neither was the print run for Conspiracy 2. And this is a mythic, not a rare from that set. Yeah, this is uh, this is one of those cards. It's just people are just not going to know that the price on this has increased to what it is. And I can imagine you're more your friends that are invested in magic, but who are more casual about the financial aspect are going to go to buy this for a new commander one day and be like, what the hell? Why is Sanctum Prelate a $60 card? Like, when did that happen? Um, would not surprise me. There are two near mint copies left on TCG player of this card. Sorry, <laughs> two listings, four copies total. One at yep. 33 and three at 35. So it's clearly been targeted and it's entirely possible that a lot of them were bought up to be shipped over to Japan because that was uh, the where the copies I sold were going. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if people had those connections or if they just are aware, you know, people who, speculators basically, saw the... Heard us talk about it, saw it moving somewhere else, and decided to scoop a couple of copies up for themselves. Foil Force of Negation, one of the most important foils out of Modern Horizons, is down to seven listings on TCG Player. In theory, went from 220 to 340 uh, There's a $300 copy currently sitting on TCG Player on a newly launched seller. So that's a little sketch, but... Uh, <laughs> I'd be looking to sell these. I, I have a suspicion this is the kind of card that could show up in Time Spiral Remastered as a old border foil. Yeah, I I feel like... The, mm, mm, I don't know. I don't, I don't get that vibe. And I don't have a very good explanation for why, but that's just a gut feeling. Can we both agree there's probably going to be some Eldrazi in old border? Probably, 
probably I don't the thing is is if you had said what type of cars do you think they're gonna put in Time Spiral Remastered? I'm gonna give you medium weight, competitively useful cards with a a mix of casual usefulness, EDH usefulness mixed in. So like some modern EDH staples? Yeah, stuff in that vein. And like Chalice of the Void is like exactly what I would expect. Some sideboardish type cards that might be useful. Like like Force of Negation feels too EDH, I guess, if that makes sense. Well, but I don't know. Force- I mean, I'm not basing this on anything. This is just like a gut feeling. And I've been wrong about this before. So Force of Negation is very much a modern card. Still played in EDH as well, but definitely cross format. The um, true. Here, here's the thing: is that I'm not sure. As a counterpoint to my own point, I don't think that that necessarily even matters for these. <laughs> like what it, <laughs> the original printing foil of a really big time card like this might shrug off, even even if it is a foil, uh, time spiral reprint. It might be pretty hard to get your hands on. Like this, we we don't know what the formulation is going to be like, but I could easily see it being true that first of all, we know there's no premium product for Time Spiral Remastered, so all that really matters is what is the foil drop rate for the um the extra cards that are getting this old border treatment. I'm pretty sure we know that you're getting an old border card in every pack, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting a foil in every pack. Now, if you presume that you might end up with two or three foil rares per box, that's a big difference versus one foil rare per box, like Modern Horizon style. So we need that information. But again, might not be much of a difference maker. I do question what people will actually pay for this card. Like market price currently on TCG is only 200 People bought at 200 hoping to flip at 3 and this is their exit point. If you've been holding since summer of 2019, I I don't think you have to hold much longer. I I, I find it hard to believe that Foil Force Negation is going to be a $1,000 card anytime soon. Oh, there's no way. There's no way. 300 has got to be the, the rough ceiling for this. Yeah, so I, if, if I was holding foils, and I'm not, um, I did just buy list a ton of non-foils happily at a very nice price. Um, if I was holding foils, I'd be selling here. Yeah, I, I, anytime we see cards up in this range, you know, pushing a 250 to 300 range, it's like, mm, there are few and far between where I will tell you to hold on to it, especially if we're just talking about a basic pack foil that was printed two years ago. Are you kidding? Like, Force and Negation will show up as some, you know, uh, you know, masterpiece level card somewhere, sometime. Uh, and you know, I, I, will it crush this price? No, but like your you, the mileage you have left on it is pretty low. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, if you look at it, and this is a rare, not a mythic. Now, if you compare it to something like uh, Renin Six, Renin Six still has foil foils available on TCG Player at around two twenty. <laughs> what a bargain! <laughs> well, I mean, that's a mythic from the same set, mythic foil right? from the same set, so. <laughs> by comparison to the force of negation it sure is 
Yeah, I mean, I, that's I I didn't n- not looking up the EDH numbers. I would assume that that is the driving force there. And I, I bet you, I bet you, force of negations got a. I'm gonna go a ten one jump on running six and EDH. Let's see how close I am. It's also pretty interesting because Renin 6 is not really a modern card right now. Like, it's very much a Jund card, and Jund is very absent in the format, <laughs> at least in the top eight. I mean, Reed Duke is still putting out Channel Fireball videos on Jund every few weeks or so, but it's not like we're seeing so, it show up in the results. 17,000 to 3,500. So it's a fi- it's five times difference. Force Negation is five times more common in EDH. Sure. Yeah. Still, I mean, I can I can believe that the Renin Six original foils will get to say four hundred. They're probably a buy at two twenty. Yeah, I mean, sure, but like you might wait four years for that. I don't think so. There's only eleven results left on TCG, and the ramp's real steep up to three fifty. Yeah, I don't I don't doubt that, but also like the um oh, what's the term I'm looking for? Not volume. The throughput of the number of these that are going to sell on every, any given month is, feels like it's got to be quite low, right? Like once you hit $300, how many people, how many copies of this are selling every month at 300 bucks? And if you're trying to buy one of these, you can be patient. You're going to ping your social circles. You're going to ask on Facebook. You might not, you might not just go to TCG player and buy them unless like, I, it seems like you're going to do some legwork before you get to that point. I'm Unless te- you're spending that type of money. I'm tempted to bite off a 220 copy and tr- just try to get a squeeze 80 bucks out of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you're going to miss. I think that the threat is that you just sit on it for a while, but you'll still probably get paid. All right. Let's so move right along. Talisman of Dominance. These talismans are interesting because they've only ever gotten a single foil printing, which is bizarre. Really, truly mm-hmm. bizarre, given it's been like, what, 15 years since this printing? Oh, yeah. Mirrodin is 2000, 2003, 2004. Too long ago. So I noticed that I have a huge pile of Talisman of Impulse, which is the green-red Talisman that I picked up at some point for reasons unknown. I don't remember what the logic was at the time. But it was probably the same thing, that it had never been reprinted and would be useful in EDH. And I think I picked them up at 15 cents for the non-foils. And... Uh, CK is giving 47 cents credit or something so we're in for the three year triple up <coughs> which we'll have to do I suppose but I also have some foil, some foils of various uh, talismans both English and Japanese so I'm curious what kind of exits I can get on those because supposedly dominance is, has gone from 40 to 60 this week which basically just means these don't exist anymore um, and that's probably true for all five variants uh, with the various color pairings I know some of them are much more popular than others. Uh, I, I actually have a handful of LP foils from, I don't know. I don't know why I bought them, but I own them. They're around. Um, and I think I last sold one for $7. I wonder if I have one listed. I will go check that too. This podcast is useful for reminding me to go look up cards I have listed and then sell them. <laughs> so for instance, here's some other cool stuff. Pretty sure I called Talisman of Creativity at under $5 summer of 2019 uh, coming out of Modern Horizons on the basis that these first set of Talismans hadn't been reprinted for a long time. 
and that the Modern Horizons ones would probably gain some ground within a few years without ever being at any risk of a reprint in foil. And sure enough, they've dodged it so far. And Talisman of Conviction is a red-white one. Dominance is a blue-black. What do they both have in common? They don't have green in them. So they tend to be more popular. I, I called Creativity, which is blue-red. You don't have any of that green ramp to lean on. You need more solid two-drop mana rocks. And sure enough, year and a half later, I guess, Talisman of Conviction is down to six listings on TCG Player. This is a foil uncommon. Lowest price, 10, then 13, then 15, then 20, 20, 20. Mm-hmm. The, the non-green ones, you're absolutely right. There's going to be more appeal to those. Um, and I'm sure when I picked up the Talisman of... Uh, was that Impulse is the green-red one? I did so because all the non-green ones were too expensive already. And I was just going for the cheapest one. Fair enough. I mean, looking at Talisman of Creativity... From Modern Horizons, you got some copies sitting around at the $9 mark. Uh, but that ramp's looking real steep, too. These are going to end up being $30 foils that people picked up from the cast recommendation under 5 bucks. So hopefully you're all happy with that. <laughs> yeah, it would, uh, it would work out well. Speaking of which, Scrying Sheets at a Conspiracy has been a hot, hot seller for both of us this week and with multiple other pro traders. Um, we originally picked these up on the news that snow was going to show up in Modern Horizons, and I certainly unloaded a whole bunch of Scrying Sheets at the time, but ended up still getting caught with, I don't know, 40% of my inventory or something, maybe 20 or 25 copies. And lo and behold, they go ahead and make Kaldheim, and there's snow permanents all over the place, and Scrying Sheets, even though they are being reprinted in the list in the Kaldheim set boosters, which are rumored to be quite populous, uh, to the point where draft boosters are practically a thing of the past. Um, Scrying Sheets is pushing, has pushed this week from high teens to high 20s, and is probably going to sell briskly even in the $30 range, I would imagine. It's a good week to own scrying sheets. Um, snow is going wild. People are excited for call time, and basically we're getting repaid again, even though we were we didn't get through enough the first time, and apparently it doesn't matter. No bad specs. Yeah, the, yeah. It sounds like I think the original call on cast was about ten dollars. I know all the stuff that I have that I haven't sold yet is from the nine to thirteen dollar range. Picked up a whole bunch overseas in Japan, picked up Japanese foils, English foils in Europe, and all of that's been selling real, real well. So uh, congrats on for anybody who's been able to unload their scrying sheets here. I don't really see like a major reason to be building snow decks in EDH yet, even with all this stuff in Kaldheim. So I, I wouldn't look the gift horse in the mouth. I would certainly be comfortable selling scrying sheets, especially since Wizards has signaled in the list that they're happy to reprint it. Yeah, I it, it so far it feels like the only card that really feels like it might make an interesting commander is the uh, I think Simic. I think he's, I think he's uh, Saltai. Yes, thank you. And I think he's counts as Saltai. I didn't actually look at the rules, but I presume as much. Yeah. Um, it's the green guy who untaps your snow permanence when he attacks. Everyone else, all the other characters who would seem like they would make particularly interesting commanders have seemed to be mostly monocolored, which is always a bit of a strain. Oh no, we're talking uh, about we're success. talking about different gods. You're talking about the the green god. I'm talking about the Saltai one that's an artifact on the other side. Yeah. That's just, yeah, we're talking about the same one. 
Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Jorn, Jorn got a winter. My mistake. Yeah, Jorn yeah. got a winter is two and a green. Whenever Jorn attacks, untap each snow permanent you control. And then the flip side, if you play the other side of him, is you may play target snow permanent card from your graveyard this turn. If you do, it enters the battlefield tapped. That's definitely a handy little Sultai snow build around. Yeah, it's cute. It's fun. The you know the untapped snow permanence is going to get you some mileage if that's what you're trying to get done. Yep, yep. Um, All right, so next yeah. on the list we got Mishra's Factory Winter Edition. For those that don't know, in Antiquities there were four versions of Mishra's Factory. One for each of the four seasons. And by far the most beloved and expensive is the Winter Mishra's Factory art. And this is bumped up towards 600 in the past and then receded uh, after the hype bubble had burst. And in theory, that went from like 400 to 700 on TCG this week, which presumably means somebody mopped up four copies or something. And it's bounced around a bunch, but this is second year of magic stuff. So eventually the winters are just going to be real, real hard to come by. And if you have a set of those sitting around, I'm not in any rush to unload them, but Price is getting tempting. It, it, yeah, I mean, this is just the mat, one of those cards that's you sell it when you want the money because the the best time to buy it was always yesterday, and the best time to sell it is the day after tomorrow. Um, so I, I would only sell it if you needed the money, basically. Sure. With a card like this, it feels like it's never going to get replaced. Yeah, the conversation we had in the Discord this week, because we have at least five or six questions a week from discord members that are all along the same theme. Like, should I sell this now? And the answer is always the same. It's a question of, okay, do you have your next play lined up? And what are your expectations for that play? Like if you were buying flesh and blood crucible boxes in October and you expected them to be a double up, then you can justify getting out of almost anything because it's not going to double up in the same time period. But if, if you just have a vague sense of wanting to exit something, but no particular impetus to do so, then you need to figure out what your goals are. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're, and you need to have a sense of what your average returns tend to be over a long period of time when you make decisions, which re- requires you to be carefully tracking what you're up to. So if you, if you can generally do 40% a year on your magic stuff, um, that you put in your spec box, then you got to ask yourself, is this likely to go up more than my average? And if the answer is no, then you probably want to look into selling it. I find that the math on this type of thing to be particularly messy if you uh, if the opportunity cost isn't a serious issue. You know, you've got whatever. You're an adult, you have money, you haven't, carved out a specific amount of money that you allow yourself to put into magic you just have money and sometimes you sell magic cards sometimes you buy magic cards and then the idea of something like this is like well i have cash sitting around like theoretically i could go buy a ton of i could could go buy 20 grand worth of cards if i needed to but i know that's not really the wisest decision and then you have like, well, I could sell this card is worth 500 and I could turn that around and do something else. So holding it is just the opportunity cost. But if I'm not going to rush out to buy any other cards right now anyways, like, but also I, 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 I find that it can be difficult to, um, 
to answer the question, to, to appropriately evaluate opportunity costs if you're not really bumping up against opportunity costs, but at the same time, you're not eager to spend all of your spare cash on magic at any given time, because that's, you know, that's not wise. Uh, really, I'm probably just telling myself and all of our listeners that what you're supposed to do is draw clear bounds around how much money you have, you know, in play at any given time and operate within those confines. But if you haven't done that, then it can get annoying and not annoying. It can become difficult to make decisions sometimes. Agreed. So reanimate the ultimate master's box topper foils going from 50 or so to just under a hundred. There's very few left on TCG player. Undoubtedly the best version of reanimate that you could lay your hands on. Art's pretty cool. Better than the original in my opinion. Uh, Good Ultimate Masters box toppers were stalled out for quite a long time, but have been draining out over the last year or so. And this is just one of a few. Yeah, we've talked about Reanimate a couple times. It wasn't Reanimate, Box Topper, or Pick a Mine some number of episodes ago. Entirely possible. I would have to go look for it. I feel like it was. Next on the list, Arcane Adaptation out of Ixalan Foils from 4 to 8. Uh, I'm pretty sure this was either one of your picks or Cliff's earlier this year. Uh, this is relevant because there's a new card in Kyle Time called Maskwood Nexus that makes cards like this useful in terms of their uh, not synergy so much as overlapping uh, backup plans. Maskwood Nexus is a four casting cost artifact that says creatures you control are every creature type. The same is true for creature spells you control and creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield. Three tap, create a 2-2 blue shapeshifter creature token with changeling. So this lets you play a deck full of a whole bunch of creature types and then attempt to pull these unifying cards into play and get just ridiculous compounding benefits. Okay, so I had to go look. I picked reanimate in like 240, I think, to go from 40 to 80. And we've got it at 96 here. So beautiful. that paid off. And the arcane adaptation I called like 3 to 8 uh roughly the same same time periods and supposedly eight now so very gonna, nice gonna check those off as wins oh uh, yeah right. the new whatchamacallit the as you said the the world tree along with the maskwood nexus card. nexus maskwood nexus is uh good combinations there did you catch that by the way that maskwood nexus and the tree are a combo wombo combo yeah, like it's go get every creature in your deck and put them in the play. Yep. Uh, that's a pretty fun little one-two punch within the same set. You just open that and limited. That tree <laughs> smells like a Castle Garenbrig situation to me where I'm going to want the deepest brick possible from Europe. Yeah. Yeah, I like I'm not like... I haven't decided what the right way to buy that card is yet. That might just be the cheapest non-foil copies you can get on anywhere in, in a big pile and, and plan the buy list it foil extended arts are going to start high and it's all going to depend on how many Caltime cbs actually show up and get cracked um because if it's a, about the same as commander legends then you're going to have skewed pricing where instead of the foil extended art rares being stuck under ten dollars for ages they're going to pop up over 20 within three months Mm-hmm. But if there's tons of them around, like there were with Zendikar Rising, which so far is not the narrative that's developing, then I'd be less excited. But in terms of the non-foils, it's actually even better than Castle Garenbrig, because Garenbrig was a fall set rare. 
this is a winter set rare so mm-hmm. presumably less of them in existence total and everyone knows the card is good this is not an underestimated card by any means and it will be a commander played staple for a million years because it just does so many things i'm not even convinced the card is like great it's just it's amusing like it's it's nifty but i mean if we're we're talking about the the tree land right that's what we're referencing yeah then i mean you've got to have gods in your deck unless you're playing one of these i i think uh, you're missing the middle text as long as you control six or more lands lands you control have add one mana of any color Yes, I did forget about that. Yeah, that's pretty potent. I mean, that's probably playable in any three-color deck or more, and likely good more than good in anything with more colors. I mean, Chromatic Lantern is a three-casting-cost artifact with this effect that tons of people play in EDH. It, oh, absolutely. And Chromatic Lantern is a reasonable point of frame, a frame of reference. How I would make the distinction is absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. I feel compelled to mention that Chromatic Lantern is a three mana mana rock that already works, yep. right? Like you pay three mana and it, it boosts your mana and the color fixing is just sort of, it's there as well and it helps, but it's not required. Um, whereas with this land, it's not boosting, it's not speeding your mana up. Um, but at the same time, that makes it very cheap and easy to play. Hmm. I don't know. I will have to take the, my cue from the EDH community to see just how good it is. The five-color thing pulling gods only gets better over time, even if all you're trying to pull out is gods. But then there's all these shenanigans, right, with arcane adaptation and the nexus and so forth. And there will be more shenanigans over time. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there there are decks where you, you don't need to pull out too many gods for it to matter. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, well, if you're activating this for two gods, are you bothering? Is it worth sacrificing the land at that point? For, for I mean, ten maybe. mana? Yeah, like maybe occasionally. Uh, I mean, in probably a lot of situations, it's not worth worth it. In any case, I, I guess my point is, I, I'm having trouble getting a really good sense on the card, so I'll just have to wait and see what the greater Magic community thinks of it. All I know is my Castle Garenbrig brick was in at a dollar, and I can currently exit at a three or four times up, and the, mm-hmm. and I'm not even in a rush to do that because I'm pretty sure I'm going to get five or six in the end. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, hitting those is ridiculous. If you can buy 50 or, you know, 40, 60, 80, 100 of these at a dollar and change, and then you get to buy list them at 350, like, you're not going to be upset about where that went. Even if that takes a year or two to get there. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you have to presume it is, right? Like, that's <laughs> not going to happen right away. Well, depends on whether it starts showing up in decks or people find fresh, freshly broken ways <laughs> to fool around with it. If you're buying a stack of cards like that, you're not expecting to turn it around in four months. Like, maybe you get dumb lucky. But for the most part, if I think if you're making a play like that, you are making the assumption that it's going to take a little bit of time for that to cook. But that's fine because it's low effort and you are going to get a pretty good return when you do get there. As someone that put in 4500 in super low hassle buy listing this week... For sure. Like, bricks are where it's at. It, it is nice to have also some variance in the type of cards you're working with. Like, well, I've got a couple bricks of stuff that's valuable, and I've also got, you know, these specs that I'm sitting on that I'm trying to get paid off on um, that are, you know, 
a little riskier, higher variance might go faster. So uh, a mixture of types of specs. One of the things that's interesting is that buy list percentage gap tends to be the same whether you're talking about a $3 card or a $100 card. But the absolute gap becomes a lot more meaningful. So for what I'm trying to say is that if you can sell to a buy list for $240 a copy and retail is $3, you do that all day. Because it's going to take you, the time and effort it will take you to sell 60 copies at $3 instead of $240 minus shipping and fees, the buy list is beating that, that scenario by a long mile. But if you're trying to, if you've got 10 copies of a $100 card and the buy list is only going to give you 70 or whatever, then the selling it yourself might still net you five, 10, $15 additional profit because it's absolute versus percentage gaps. Mm -hmm. And so very rarely do I hand in hundred dollar cards to buy less. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we're staples bricks for jerseys. Right. Yeah. Getting to sell a lot of cards all at once is definitely worth taking a hit on how much your potential profit is, but that is uh that is 101 right there. So I think somebody in the Discord was saying that Rudy was talking up Vesuvian Vesuvian Doppelganger, uh, which is also reserved list and from uh, revised. And sure enough, it goes from twenty twenty six to sixty or something. I would expect that to fade back. There are first of all, there's a lot more revised out there than there is Alpha or Beta, like a lot, lot more. And these are the kinds of cards that are in fact sitting out there in binders and can float back into the market given time. Now COVID interferes with the ability for retracings to occur because there aren't weekly buy listing activities at the local and regional level. So that certainly still factors in heading into 2021. But $60 on a Vesuvian? I don't know. I mean, that number is ludicrous, but I will still go look through my inventory to see if I have any... I think i still have some kicking around because i don't know if i would have sold them at all or ever pulled them out uh and that's a ridiculous rate of return on that card that used to be three dollars sure i wonder how i wonder how many rudy has good always the question to ask yourself if you're watching that channel yeah uh varchild's war riders out of alliance oh, baby out of alliances i know you're excited about this I, one i gotta go get a cigarette after this <laughs> four bought... four dollars to ten dollars I play, I remember for for new uh, listeners to the cast who haven't gotten to listen to this. I bought a st- uh, I played with this in EDH. Um, God, I don't know how long ago. Years ago, I was playing EDH. My buddy plays this in attacks, and I do one of those lean over, pick it up, and read it. You know, always a good sign when your opponents pick your card up and read it. And proceeded to get destroyed by it. Like I read the card once, put it down, and went, "Wow." I need to go buy these cards. Like, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what I said. So I ended up with, I think I have over a hundred of these that I paid like in the ballpark of two to $3 for. And you, you know, you've heard me mention every now and then, this is an example of a card that can be very, oh, now I'm going to sneeze. Bless you. As an example of a card that can be very good and you should be playing it but people aren't because it's they don't know about it but the uh you know apparently you know there are no bad specs only long-term specs and the ship might finally have come in on this a little bit and i could not be more excited to sell these 
This is so funny because I remember trying to make this deck work in standard back in the day, like when it first came out, and just getting my ass handed to me because having no concept of the meta or <laughs> what other people were going to be tabling or what was good. This is a 3-4 for one and a red. It has Trample and Rampage 1. And if you weren't playing Magic in the 90s, you probably don't even know what Rampage means. But it's whenever this creature becomes blocked, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn for each creature beyond the first blocking it. So if you block it with two things, it's a 4-5 instead of a 3-4. It has a cumulative upkeep where you put a survivor token into play under target opponent's control. And that token is a 1-1 red creature. I don't know why whether people were going after this on the basis of sacrifice interactions or something. Like there was Turgrid, God of Fright, that was revealed this week. Three and two black, four five, menace, legendary creature god. Whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent or discards a permanent card, you may put that card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under control. That doesn't really have any synergies. No, there was I the one guy in Discord mentioned that you play it with the red god who does um essentially overrun damage for your spells, where any damage your spells do to a creature that are beyond the sufficient damage needed to kill it, it you then get to redirect to any other target. So you get paid for paid off for doing huge damage to um particular targets. And with something like Varchild's War Riders, you play like uh now I'm at a loss for the names of the cards. Uh, the one that costs like nine that's cheaper for every creature in play that deals 13 Blast, to everything. Blasphemous, Blasphemous act. act. Yeah, it's like suddenly you're dealing 13 damage to a bunch of 1-1 tokens, which means you get to redirect 12 all over the place. And I mean, you just you can wipe just the wipes, table. Just wipes the table. You just win the game in a four-player game with one cast of that spell. Um, yeah, it's not, the, so it, it's not the Black God. It's the Red God. Torolf, God of Fury. Two yeah. red, red, five, four. Trample. Whenever a creature or planeswalker an opponent controls is dealt excess non-combat damage, Torolf deals com- deals damage equal to the excess to any target other than that permanent. So the setup here is that using the War Riders to dole out a bunch of crappy creatures that are going to then take Red Wrath of God style level damage and kill the table. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yep. So, I mean, you know, is it that? Is it... It being a reserveless card and reserveless cards being hot right now again. I don't know. You know? Any all of the above. Little I'm sure you're, I'm a, sure you're happy to B. sell until the until the well runs dry. Yeah, either either way it works for me. I gotta hurry up and start relisting these and get well to get into good. Frost Marsh foils at a conspiracy, six to eighteen. This is Calder Cal- Snow Hype, of course. Cow Cow Lord of Way of the FTV Legends foils from ten to thirty five. That's just a low supply situation. That's not even a Big deal card and commander. This one has got me a little mystified. Angel of Vitality foils out of M20 are up from 4 to 17 with very few copies left on TCG Player. Lisa, the black-white angel uh, recently released, is a top 15 commander right now. There's also Righteous Valkyrie that is unveiled, has been re- revealed for... Uh, spoiled for Kaladesh. That's a 2-white for a 2-4 flyer. Angel Cleric. Whenever another Angel or Cleric enters the battlefield under your control, you gain life equal to that creature's toughness. And then as long as you have at least 7 life more than your starting life total, creatures you control get plus 2, plus 2. I mean, there are some minor synergies there, but I'm not really sure why people were going hard at Angel of Vitality. Yeah, we were talking about this before we recorded, and uh, I don't really have a better insight either. I mean... Some mild angel synergy, but 
it, beyond that, I don't know. It did make me realize I should have one of these in my Aloro deck because then I gain three life every every upkeep <laughs> instead of two. That's a fifty percent increase. It's a lot of life. It can get out of hand, and it's not like the rest of that deck doesn't also include multiple instances of gaining life by draining the table. Yeah, Loro's uh, really dumb, consistently very obnoxious to play against. So top of the list here, we have Merit Lasia's Slumber. This is a foil rare, I think, from uh, Modern Horizons. Going from 225 so basically bargain basement bulk rare foil status, to $10, more or less just because of Kaladesh Snow Hype. I don't, I don't think anybody yeah. really has a firm sense that they're going to end up playing Merit Lasia's Slumber as a result of anything in Kaladesh, but... This is definitely people just like, oh, I should buy cards that have snow text on them because there's snow now and uh, I'm bored and don't make good decisions. <laughs> I mean, Modern Horizons, if you're going to try to corner the market on foils right now that are pack foils, Modern Horizons is a good place to start. That's that's the takeaway. I would agree. Modern Horizons has got some good, some good, good thinking. So, top magic online movers of the week. We have Draneth Magistrate out of Ikoria going from 5.05 tickets to 0.14 for a whopping 180% gains if you had them in bulk. Mono White Aggro is playing it in standard quite a bit. Mirror Made out of Eldraine. I wasn't able to figure out what was going on there, but it's almost exactly the same movement. 0.05 ticks to uh, 0.14, 180% gains. Gadrak the Crown Scourge makes a bunch of treasure tokens and so forth. Kaladesh Treasure, uh, sorry, not Kaladesh, Kaldheim Treasure Synergies, uh, probably driving that uh, card from 0.02 ticks to 0.1, 400% gains. And then Bassery's Lieutenant is seeing a lot of play in standard in a Mardu Winota build uh, and went from 0.01 ticks to 0.14. So 1,300% gains. I'm willing to bet that the vast majority, even of the speculators that operate on Magic Online, <laughs> failed to make any money on almost any of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, even, even when I have time to be fooling around with that on Magic Online, which is not often anymore, definitely don't go after the one-cent stuff. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about a lot of the bots having buy and sell limits of four to eight copies, it makes yeah, the, uh, the th this type of action impossible. Um, segment three, paper cards to watch. I'm going to start with... Uh, I'm going to start here, James. Go for it. And I have an off-the-wall pick. Off-the-wall. a secret sleeper pick. It's, uh, wait, hold on. <laughs> hold on. I just forgot the name of it. Give me a second. It is Ferretti Biscotti Liqueur. Oh. And it's, it's a Biscotti, Biscotti flavored liqueur. And it's, <laughs> I'm sipping it. And it's liqueur. delicious. Yeah. It's a liqueur. 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 Sure. And so <laughs> it's it like, biscotti? it's like, Okay. It smell. I'm telling you, it smells like biscotti, and it tastes phenomenal. And if it, if that's your speed, man, it's like thirty five bucks at my local liquor store. But ours is a little pricey. I think I can't recommend it enough. Is that so? Is that what is warming your heart right now? Yes. Got it. Uh, it's what's going to put me to sleep in the next half hour. I, I actually had every intention. I, we were driving around the other day because now we're in total emergency level lockdown in Toronto. So now we just once a weekend drive around town aimlessly till we find some place where we can like get some takeout food or something and just to be out of the house. Mm -hmm. And about halfway through that, I looked at Ellie and I was like, you know what? Let's just go to the, the liquor store close to close where it won't be busy. 
and just load up on a couple hundred bucks worth of like stuff to make daiquiris and shit. Let's make some cock Tom Cruise cocktail level <laughs> nonsense at home over the next couple months. And she was like nodding her head enthusiastically. So we, uh, there's going to be some little colorful umbrellas in our drinks pretty shortly here. Well, lots of clinking in the yeah. background as we yeah. record in the next couple of weeks. Can I order myself some, some nice uh, bartender gear online, pick up a new hobby? I don't know, man. That is a, it's a dangerous trap. I was doing something and I saw, I was reminded of white Russians and I'm like, I don't really make those enough. I should mm, make that's some a good white drink. Russians. That's a good drink. Too. And I'm like, ah, oh, there's like a lot of calories in that. Yep. And I'm like, I've pretty much already put on like 10 pounds over the pandemic, which is realistically not because of the pandemic. I was doing fine until Christmas hit and I just went hog wild on Christmas cookies with the full intent that that was just going to happen and I was going to have to fix it afterwards. Um, but yeah, it's like you, you're like, oh, I'm home all the time sitting around. I'll make a couple drinks. But then you're like, oh, if I do this like three times a week, that's like 18, two, 1,800, 2,000, 3,000 calories. And it's like, man, that adds up fast. I, I, I've been trying to justify my cookie habit by switching from Coke to kombucha. That's a major calorie gain. <laughs> Saves you 140 calories <sighs> every time you do that. Man, you should, you'll get more by switching to kombucha because like a full glass of that and you will just throw up, <laughs> which will give you a lot of calories back there, right there. There are definitely some very nasty, highly acidic brands of kombucha. Uh, I drink Rise. I don't know if they have that in the States. Uh, it's real good. Real, real good. Like I'm drinking some blueberry maple Rise with a splash of mango juice right now, and it's tasty. I mean, all those words sound good. Like, this sounds appealing. And every single time I've been somewhere where they're giving away kombucha samples, I have one. I try it, and I'm, like, spitting it on the floor. I'm like, whoops, that is bad. There are definitely some bad brands. Um, okay, so that out of the way, we should get back to magic cards here. Uh, what do you got here? A familiar target. Uh, collector's edition and international collector's edition are gold bordered magic cards that were made in sets of 10,000 and 15,000 respectively, 25,000 copies total. It's been a while since we talked about these on cast. They were pariahs of the magic world for years. I remember back in the nineties, early two thousands, you couldn't give this stuff away because it was basically a set of beta, full set of beta, gold bordered, square cornered. So not only did they get damaged really easily, but you couldn't play them anywhere, and EDH didn't exist yet. So they were a collector's curiosity, and they were a couple hundred bucks, 300 bucks, 400 bucks for ages and ages. The other day, somebody put up a set on Facebook that was like a sealed in an acrylic case kind of thing, untouched, never opened, still in the shrink wrap, and got 18 grand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for a full set. I pulled out, that prompted me to pull out the six or seven piece like dual lands and I have a time walk and some other stuff that I picked up over the last few years, just here and there where I thought the deals were solid or I needed a buy list out and it looked like the returns were something like 180 to 220% on that stuff. So it occurred to me to take a look at, well, what's in these sets that hasn't popped off real hard yet? Because people are thinking about them in the usual way they think about magic cards, considering their rarity. Missing the fact entirely that because these collector edition and international collector edition sets come with one of everything, everything in them is the same rarity. Mm -hmm. So 
does it really make sense that soul rings can still be had under a hundred dollars when it's the most played card in commander the biggest format in the game and you could totally table a gold border soul ring and nobody would bat an eye and the, uh, the only downside is you have a square cornered card in your deck that you probably have to clip if you want it to really fit nicely <laughs> Yeah, boy, the danger there is, uh, do they even, A, yeah, I was going to say, do they even fit in a sleeve uh, correctly? And uh, B, uh, are people going to want to play with a square border card for fear of damaging it? Yep. Square Th- corner that card. That certainly is relevant. But the bottom line here is it's not even really EDH so much as Silvering being an iconic card and the, these things just being so, so rare. Like, they, mm-hmm. we, we know how much inventory there is. It's not a lot. And they're getting gobbled up. And you're seeing things like the moxes being in the thousands of dollars from previously being in the hundreds of dollars. And so, you can get collector's edition soul rings and international editions still under 100 bucks. Not a lot of them left. Mostly on TCG player, lightly played or near mint. Looks like International Edition is already the lowest near mint is 140. So make the call Collector's Edition. Six or seven of you can go get copies under $100, and I bet you they will be 140 in a year. And the rest of you better poke around locally and see if you can snap something off. Maybe you can find an online vendor that's got a stray copy posted somewhere or a Facebook group or what have you. Kind of pick that's kind of too much of an easy win because there might only be 10 or 15 copies out there that people can even lay their hands on easily. But I have a feeling those are going to be worthwhile if you hear this ahead of other people. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I think playability concerns aside, that's a, really a secondary issue on a card like this. You're buying it because it's a rarity and a curiosity. And uh, we have seen a lot of action on those types of cards in the past. So I wouldn't worry necessarily um, about people wanting to own it just and, and to treat it gingerly rather than to play with it i think that given how well the c and ie stuff has done uh lately you're bound to hit buying an extremely popular card uh for for only 80 bucks and like on a card like this like that jump from 80 to 140 just seems so easy you know what i mean like no one would bat an eye if you told them how much this card caught no one bat an eye if you told them it was 80 dollars or if it was 140 right like yeah. they're just like oh okay that's that's how much this costs all right, so moving right along. Um, so first card I found this week was Soul Harvest. Um, this is the, from way back, this is the Abyssin Restored card. Uh, it is the six mana six six green creature. Six mana six six trample. Whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. So it's uh, essentially got glimpse the glimpse of nature stapled to it. Um, Pretty popular card, about 16,500 decks. So definitely has gotten some traction over the years. Uh, it is the only foil printing of Soul of the Harvest. Or this is the only foil printing of Soul of the Harvest, despite there being six copies. So Wizards has gone to the well several times on this, but has still only given us a single foil. Absent Restored foils in general, uh, admittedly, are not my favorite. They're one of the um, crummy sets for foils, but it's still the only one. Uh, and people will buy it. We know they'll buy it. Everson Restored Foils uh, are still quite pretty pricey where appropriate. So I think that's possible for Soul of the Harvest as well. Uh, 
you can grab these for about eight bucks right now. So it's not too much of a buy-in. And there are a whopping total of nine vendors on TCG. One of them is Korean. Uh, MTG Mint card has four. And then there's like a two and a three. So there's like 14 copies of this total on TCG Player for, near Mint Foil. Um, you'll pay eight bucks for the cheapest copy. The most expensive right now is 1150. Uh, so there's only a $3 difference between the lowest and most expensive copies, which is pretty dramatic, a very, very tight spread on something like this or in general. So it leads me to believe this is kind of floating under the radar, uh, but I'm sure after this, it won't be any longer. So you can buy copies at eight, maybe some other websites have a little deeper pockets, maybe slightly different prices. Um, but I would expect that by the end of this year, you can sell them for $20 or close to it. Yep, seems solid to me. Uh, my next pick is Shadow Spear Non-Foil Extended Art from Theros Beyond Death. Uh, arbitrage play out of Europe. Uh, CK covers uh, copies at $11.50 or $15 credit. TCG is already pushing up to 20 This card's very, very popular in EDH and also has minor amounts of constructed play. You can still get copies in Europe under 10 euros, plus shipping you're probably looking at anywhere from 9 to 12 euros, and I would say your sales target is probably 25 to 30 uh, within three months or so. Situation is uh, looking good in North America, so snap off some in Europe and you should be in good shape. Sure. I, I mean, we, we talked about Shadow Spear uh, a month ago, two months ago. I had, I didn't have, I don't, my pick, I don't think was a non-foil extended art. It was probably the foil extended art. Yep. Um, but I, you know, I spoke highly of it then, but I mean, now it's just an arbitrage play, which again, sure, the numbers are there. Works for me. Cards already, have at it. Cards already reported in 14,000 decks. 5% of all the decks that could run it do run it, um, which for a uh, colorless card is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's a lot of play. All right. Um, next. Speaking of, of colorless cards, uh, Hammer of Nizan. Nazian. Nizan. I like Nizan. Nizan. Yeah, same. Nazian. Uh, foils out of Double Masters are currently about 1150 So Hammer of Nizan, uh, the Double Masters was obviously printed pretty recently. Uh, there's only about 33 vendors for the foils here. So a decent supply, but I guess probably less than I would have expected, um, especially since Double Masters inventory has felt kind of deep over uh, every time I look stuff up. So I, I kind of like that this is that low. Um, the spread between the non-foils and the foils is very tight. The non-foils are, so the cheapest foil is $11.50. The cheapest non-foil is 10 bucks. Uh, I mean, that's a very tight spread. So... Which leads me to believe that there's a lot of demand for the card in general, um, because people are just are buying any copy they can get. The uh, the double that's the double masters is around ten or ten to eleven dollars, ten bucks for the for the non foils. But the original printing, the Commander Seventeen, is basically in the same boat. Uh, so it's not like there's a weird price discrepancy between the two sets. It's in ten thousand EDH rec decks, so. Pretty solid number. I mean, it's an artifact, so it could be in a lot more, but 10,000 is still pretty solid. And remember, we're generally more interested in absolute numbers than percentage of available decks simply because it doesn't matter. If a card is in 100% of five color decks, that's still less than an artifact that's in probably 10% of all decks. Uh, so the absolute number is what matters. 
Uh, you're probably going to be sitting on this for a little bit longer because this is definitely at the early outset of this card's trajectory, given that Double Masters is pretty fresh. But with the uh, pretty clear popularity of this already in the tank, uh, Wizards has pushed equipment relatively hard the last couple, um, last set or two here with Commander and Kaldheim. Uh, and a very useful ability, which is that it allows you to equip other equipment for free. It's probably going to make it into virtually every equipment deck that gets played. Uh, I see the foils on this creeping up from 11 to 25 again over the course of roughly this year. Yep, I can believe it. The The, the only problem that's interfering here with <clears throat> Double Masters specs, of course, is that Wizards presumed they were gonna they were going to need to fill a gap in the market with VIP booster boxes, when in fact what they needed was Commander Legend collector boxes. But because of the advanced planning required on all that, the market is real short on Commander Legend CBs, which are currently pushing up towards 300 um, and hollowing out on TCG Player. And the VIPs apparently just got dropped through the distribution channels uh, to the... Like massive question marks overheads amongst the vendors like are you serious like we couldn't move these if we tried <laughs> because the 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 wholesale cost of vendors on the vip packs was not super cheap and the ev has been driven through the floor they need time to recover even if no further inventory showed up and yet there are more vip boxes floating around with deals getting done real 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 cheap so this is going to be awkward for the foils that show up in there, including things like Hammer of Mazan. I just think, I think the card only has a single printing in foil. It has strong EDH demand. Probably going to need something like 12 to 18 months to get there as a foil rare from that set. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Uh, like I said, you're buying in, uh, buying in on this at the start of the process here. So maybe you get lucky and it's six months. Maybe, you know, you're in for 18 months. I, I don't know for sure. That's going to depend on a lot of factors that, you know, we don't really have the most information on, but I do think that it's going to move in the right direction regardless. I will say this. If it shows up again anytime in the next couple of years, probably as a non-foil. Like, it could show up easily as a non-foil in a commander deck, but the, fo oh, yeah. the foils will probably get the breathing room. Yeah. All right, that's solid. Uh, my next pick is a, a cute one from Secret Lair, the Amulet of Vigor foils out of the... Secret Layer Drop series that was, ah, I forget what the charity was, but it was something benefiting a children's hospital or something. I, I, I can't remember what the charity what I don't know, this kids. name was ex exactly. But basically the whole theme of that drop was, inc including Teferi's protection, etc., was like uh, families and, and kids. Oh, yeah, that was that one that had the Teferi just like innocently tossing his daughter into the correct, air and correct. people were photoshopping her. Ugh. Yeah, so Amulet of Vigor is big time modern staple in prime time. Amulet Titan took first in the modern uh, tournament this week. It seems capable of staying at the top of the format almost regardless of how much brokenness Wizards prints. And I have a feeling, given that this is a single source premium version of this card and probably has the best art, since the original art was nothing to look at, uh, this... These foils currently available around 12, 11 12 13 dollars going to 30 in the year seems entirely possible. When people buy this card, they buy four at a time. There's only 35 listings on TCG and a steep ramp up over 20 towards 30. This is nifty. I like that this is a, a cool little premium version that people are going to be a little bit less aware of. Um, 
This, we know that secret layer supplies tend to not be super deep, and I'm guessing that that charity one did not get uh, bought up too hard. Uh, so I like the outlook in that regard. Uh, you're right that people buy four ofs of this, not one. Also a good op, a good uh, angle. Um, you're getting a, a cheap foil here at thirteen dollars. So overall, I think this is uh, an appealing, an appealing option here. I was just looking at that. I don't know if it was that secret layer. I was just looking at another secret layer card myself, um, kind of wondering if you could get away with it. Amulet of Vigor so is I not th a big deal card in EDH, of course. It's only in about 5,000 decks, but that's not an insignificant number either, even if it's a niche card along the lines of a Rings of Bright Hearth or, or even more niche. Still gives a little bit of bolstering to the modern demand. Yeah, it rings to like yeah, five thousand is still fine. I mean, it's not great, right? Like, it's not a ton of decks, but it's better than nothing. It's better than three thousand people buy it and play it in that format, and it's that's just a it's just bonus. It's bonus money. It's free real estate, baby. There also doesn't seem to be any real chance of anything out of Amulet Titan Titan getting banned because it's been here for ages, but has has not been ultra dominant um, since they got rid of a couple of the pieces that were making it ridiculous. So probably a pretty safe place uh, to be focused heading into, you know, the rejoining of modern and paper, say, six to 12 months from now. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, my final pick of the week is Worm Coil Engine Masterpiece Series from Kaladesh Inventions. Hard to believe I'm talking about these still. Um, and it's an arbitrage play. So give it a confidence level nine, maybe a 10. Uh, CK has these covered at 110 credit. There are zero left on TCG Player at a reasonable price. They've been knocked out recently. There are two posted at $9,000 or something ridiculous. You can get them in Europe around 110, 115, and I would look to exit around 175 or so retail within the year. Yeah, I mean, hard to complain about that if you're getting in at 20 or 30 bucks below TCG Player right now, and then. You know, there's no inventory here as it is. That's uh, by the time you get them over here, you're going to be in position to, to flip them pretty good. Uh, I should probably mention on the Amulet of Vigors, the their foils and their secret layer. So there is something to be said for modern players not wanting Pringles in their deck. Caution, the, cautionary note. Yeah, I mean people don't, but I'm not like that worked up about it. Um, people will buy it, flatten it, because if it's a cool version and they want it, they're gonna order it and hope it hope it's flat. And then even if it is, even if it's not flat, they're gonna try and flatten it. I think, in general, I think vendors probably react stronger to that than the average player does, which um, is not right or wrong. I just think that they see a lot of the cards and they're aware of it. Uh, and it annoys the hell out of them because they don't want to have to sell near mint cards as like lightly played. Um, and they're, you know, if you deal with having to, to do those returns a couple times, it's obnoxious. But for the average player, I get the impression they don't care all that much unless it's really bad or you catch the wrong person. Um, but, you know, I know that I have sold a lot of cards that have a little bit of a, of a twist to them and, very rarely do I have to follow up with buyers after they receive it. On this topic, we do have plenty of pro traders that have been experimenting with rehydrating cards to flatten them out with good results. With kombucha? Yeah, with kombucha. With good results. So we are actually going to be posting an article on that within the month uh, that 
will be free for the entire Magic community since it has no financial re relevance beyond protecting your cards. And uh, maybe people can use that to start smoothing out their secret layer cards. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that's uh, that's some tech right there. I, you can't even call that no financial relevance. You buy the you buy the warped ones for uh, discounted prices because they're play quality. <laughs> Those are Pringles. I'll give you a dollar. Hey man, I did it with the uh, the expeditions, and if they were if expeditions had done better than they did, I would have really made out like a bandit on that exchange. But those have kind of flatlined, unfortunately. Well, though, I mean, those are all going to drain out given enough time as well. Well, it's been how many years? Five. Yeah. All right. So, what's your final pick? Uh, I'm finishing up with one. This was a touch softer, but I like it, so I'm putting it on people's radar. Is Prime Speaker Zagana, uh, as not to be confused with uh, Zenya, like Armin Gildo Zenya, the high high fashion Italian suit brand. This is Zagana. Uh, the foils from Gate Crash are floating around thirteen dollars right now. Um, Zagana's in about just under eight thousand decks, so yeah. Kind of popular, not crazy popular, but there are only nine uh, English foil copies left of this on TCG Player. It's got like one other printing of a commander set, so of course no foils. So you'll pay $13.15 for the cheapest one. Uh, the most expensive is $18.50, and then they kind of sit in between there. But again, there's nine copies. So like it's not everywhere, but it gets played. Um, and you know, at 13 bucks for, at this point, what is reasonably considered an older foil. We've already been back to gate uh, Ravnica again since this was printed. Um, I think that you're probably going to get paid off over time. You know, if they're 13 now, you can probably get out on 25 to $30 um, again also this year. Uh, I wouldn't go super deep, probably not more than a playset, but I think you'll be relatively happy to have that playset. Yeah, I, I don't see this being a reprint priority anytime soon. So it's the kind of card I wouldn't want to be super deep on, but your one or two copies that you hold for a year or two are probably going to be a double or a triple for sure. Yeah. All right, that was solid. Move on to uh, our Pro Trader uh, selection of the week. Uh, Pro Trader Ron Diggity points out one of the few mm. foil extended art rares from Commander Legends that we haven't already talked about. And to be fair, many people on our Discord have been talking about this and <clears throat> plenty of other cards from that set. So this attribution probably could have gone a number of different ways, but he was the uh, pro trader that flagged it on time today. Give it, so give, give it to somebody else for having a better name. I don't like his name. <laughs> so he gets the $25 gift certificate from Cool Stuff Inc. for picking Wheel of Misfortune to go eh, more or less 20 to 21 to probably $40 plus. Uh, and if Commander Legends CBs don't fill in real soon here, then this and all of the other good cards from that set are going to pop up over that level. This is in 13% of all red decks since it was released, 2,200 total. By this time next year, it'll probably be six to 10,000 would be my guess. And it's a f the only thing I, I, the only knock I have against this card is it doesn't, <clears throat> read well to casuals in the case but i'm not sure that's going to matter given the current inventory levels um the people that are fully entrenched in the edh scene will put in the time to figure out what it does they'll get it played against them a couple times and memorize the pattern and it's going to be a staple okay uh 
sure looks solid i mean foil extended art cards i like uh 13 of red decks is a lot that is definitely a lot of decks especially if it's a card that does that's a little harder to pick up on that requires a little bit more understanding um to play on your first pass than not so i can't complain about that and it really i'm just going to be a sucker for like pretty much all the commander foils i think so uh works for me i just don't like uh the name ron diggity i don't know all right sounds like ron jeremy <laughs> uh have i ever told you the story about how ron jeremy insulted my mother uh you have not so we were at uh, a ron jeremy documentary at a film festival in toronto many years back and ron jeremy himself was up on stage answering questions at the end and i asked him made the drastic error of asking him who the best he ever had was which to which he replied your mother yeah and a a raucous uproar ensued (laughs) and my mother was ashamed for better part of a year without even knowing why yeah i was gonna say wait a minute your mother wasn't there was she (laughs) no i didn't have the heart to tell her either but she was still flushed (laughs) in embarrassment for the whole year without understanding the the source of said she was just sitting at dinner with your dad and she got this look on her face (laughs) like why do i I feel like this i have to take a shower someone walked over my grave yeah uh yeah that's (laughs) quite the story okay sure i guess uh i guess i would have gone i don't know maybe i would have gone to that yeah probably amusing probably amusing at the least was it it wasn't the avn was it no, 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 God, no. Oh, no. the Ron Jeremy documentary thing. That's yeah, it was like in. like the documentary film festival or something in Toronto. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't, know, I don't tend to it. Toronto's a big city. They got all sorts <laughs> yeah. of fun stuff up there. True, but yeah, ha- haven't been to a porn festival as of yet. The, um, also, I don't know what the AVN is, so uh, those are just random letters. I don't know what they I was mean. assuming you were talking about some kind of adult something something. I have no idea. I'm sure I wouldn't know. Anyway, uh, moving right along to Kaladesh Spoilers Part 2. What jumped out at you? Anything you like? Uh, yeah, so definitely that green god who untaps no permanence. I think he's cool. Um, and I think players will want to make use of him. If I can find the stupid card again. Uh, I gotta tell you, we, I need to find a better website to use for these discussions. Because <laughs> it's a pain to find the card I'm looking for. It is Jorn, God of Winter. Um, and I know a couple other players have, have looked at this as well. I've seen his name pop up. But, I mean, he's relatively simple, right? He's a three, three mount of three, three that when he attacks, he untaps your snow permanence. So it's kind of like a built-in, um, whatchamacallit? Uh, Wilderness Reclamation? I was, no, well, I was, you know, because he's snow permanence. So it's more like a Seedborn Muse or uh, the other one that's banned, the Simic one that's banned. Sure. Um, he untaps a bunch of shit. A, so you, you cast something, yeah. he, he attacks, you untap it, you cast something again. It's, it's a powerful effect, and it's kind of a, an amusing little build around. You're not going to get anything too crazy with it because it's um, only snow permanents, and there are just not that many snow permanents worth using now, aside from your lands. But I do think he is the forerunner for interesting commanders right now in this set. Oh, yeah, he's up there. Three, three colors, and most of the good snow cards are in those colors anyway. Yeah, not having access to white's a little annoying, um, but still not terrible. I will say that overall, I found this set to have a bit of a dearth of good commanders, um, primarily because the coolest ones are monocolor. 
which really slows down their inclusion. And I think like the God of Fury one who produces all of that uh, extra overflow damage is really cool. That'll get but played. nobody wants it'll get played, but like just not that much. Like mono red commanders are not the most popular cards, you know? Uh, so I, I just don't have a lot of faith in him. He'll get she'll show up in the 99s. But Eska, God of the Trees, interesting. One green, green, one four legendary creature god. Vigilance taps for one mana of any color, and other legendary creatures you control will have vigilance and tap for one mana of any color. And then the flip side is the Prismatic Bridge. Five color legendary enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature or planeswalker card. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. So, free permanent cast per turn, more or less. Yeah, that one could be cool um, because isn't that the commander that's five colors, right? Or the commander ends up being five yeah, colors? Yeah, it'll qualify as five colors. Yeah, which which gives you a kind of an amusing way to get into a five color commander that's a little different than the other ones that are out there. Um, this isn't a commander, but Tybalt's Trickery could mm-hmm. end up being very popular since it's basically Chaos Warp. This this card could be a brick target. There's a bunch of ways for this to just be a hard counter in red. If you're in Jeskai and Pioneer and you have a Teferi Time Raveler out, your opponents can only cast things at sorcery speed. So when you counter the spell with Trickery, it's countered for one and a red. That's a cute little trick. And I, That's for sure. I would imagine you don't need too many interactions like that before this thing starts looking real nasty. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Chaos Warp, like, is pl- is very popular, played on the surface of just get rid of this obnoxious permanent. I don't care what you get. It's not going to be worse. It's very unlikely to be worse than this, so I'm fine with it. Uh, and Tibalt's Trickery is essentially going to be the same thing. It's going to say, all right, you've just cast this humongous spell that's going to be a problem for me. Uh, you know, let's roll the dice and see what else you get. I just want to deal with that. And also, if it's like an eight mana, it doesn't even matter. If it's an eight mana spell, they're not getting an eight mana spell back most likely. So you're just saving, you know, you get to burn their mana just for value at that point. Trick- trickery is curious. It easily could end up a total trash bulk rare. At first glance, that's what it looks like. But I do wonder how dangerous a hard counter is in Jeskai if they have a couple of ways to turn it into that. Yeah, I I, I don't have an immediate answer, um, but I do think that a lot of red decks. I mean, Chaos Warp is like the most, the second most popular red card in the format, or some nonsense like that. People like that card. Search for Glory looks like a rare that might be worth getting a brick of. Going to be a uh, tutor in EDH from here to eternity. Search your library for a snow permanent, a legendary card, or a saga card. Reveal it, put it into your hand, shuffle your library, then gain one life for each snow spent to cast this spell. Mm-hmm. If you're in a if, yeah, if a good snow commander emerges, this is a lock. But just being able to pull legendaries out of your deck in EDH is probably good enough. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, some decks will want it. I think the 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 life gain is relatively incidental. You know, something like an a, a Loro deck might be more inclined to include it just for the free life. Um, like, I don't know. You can look at the other three mana tutors and see how popular they are. They're reasonably popular. They're not that popular. 
Maybe it, Which, maybe it is too restrictive. Maybe I'm being too too kind to it. I don't think the restrictive c- component of it is a problem. I think that the the three mana tutors are semi popular, but I don't think they're like that popular because there's. So like there's idyllic tutor which was search your library for an enchantment and put it into your hand. It's five bucks, right? It's fine. It's not a, it's not thrilling, but it's fine. Free, free, rem- and... free on that topic. Free reminder that foil extended art idyllic tutors from Theros are drying up hard, and the time is nigh if you want to own any. I mean, idyllic tutor is. <laughs> I'm eating my words here. It is an eighteen thousand hex like definitely some demand there um is that the only three mana tutor there's got to be more i thought there were more. i'm sure i'm sure there are more but there may not be more that are at that level of play i'm well i just searched the, ner- the word tutor on uh well they're not all called tutors right yeah i think that's the problem is i'm, I'm not pulling them up immediately um no i don't want that anyway what so Moving right along, we got Reflections of Litjara, Enchantment, 4 and a blue. When it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Whenever you cast a spell of the chosen type, copy that spell. <laughs> so if you're in a tribal deck and you're blue, or you're playing the Changelings, as this set seems to be inclined to uh, suggest that you might, this starts to copy your permanents. Oh, copies the spells. So if you have tribal spells trying to think what the 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 Lorwyn era tribal spells are that you might actually play in EDH but whatever if if you have tribal spells over the course of magic's history you'll get double duty out of those but most of the time here you're going to be calling something like dragon or merfolk or whatever and getting copies of those things as they come into play what was the name of it again reflections of lit jara I'm not, I can't find the card. Let me. Uh, okay, here we go. Oh yeah, yeah, that's pretty gross. I do remember seeing this card. Also, also that is going to be popular. Also, like it's not quite a doubling season because it's a little more restrictive than that. It doesn't have quite as many synergies overall, but there are plenty of ways to make use of it. Uh, that's probably a brick target too. Would be my guess. It's going to get real cheap in Europe because they will have no use for this card. Yeah, that card is something for sure. It's um, it's going to be reasonably popular. I It's hard for me to nail down if it's going to be a true all-star in terms of popularity or just decent. You know, casual EDH decks do end up being... Um, I think fine, but not amazing. They're, they're like they're always worse than you want them to be. Basically, the cat, the the tribal EDH decks, and I mean, like, there's a whole section on what you call it, uh, EDH rec for like the tribal section. Like, oh, here are all the tribes. But every time I get a hold of the tribal cards, they never move as fast as I expect them to. So they're not. I guess they're not as popular as I expect them to be. And also blue, I feel like it's kind of an awkward tribal color. Like your big tribes aren't blue for the most part in the way that the other ones are, you know? Possibly true, but this also is the same colors as Arcane Adaptation and you can run the Nexus now alongside this. True, true. and, And there are tons of changelings and shit in this set that can play into this strategy. So moving along, uh, Egon, God of Death. 
Two and a black for a 6-6 death touch. That's already a pretty strong rate. Now, at the beginning of your upkeep, you exile two cards from your graveyard, and if you can't, you have to sacrifice Egon and draw a card. However, the flip side of this card is a legendary artifact for one black. At the beginning of your upkeep, mill a card, and then two and a black, exile a creature card from your graveyard, draw a card. I, I think the backside there is the story. That's going to get plenty of play. And stuff like Muldratha, you'll <laughs> definitely want that. He's... Uh... Well, yeah, that's nice. That's particularly good because, well, I don't know. So the artifact is you play this, you get to mill a card every turn, and occasionally you'll draw cards from it. My problem is that the god side of it isn't that good. I mean, you're getting a three mana six six death touch. Like, that's fine. You know, like you're you're not gonna be like angry to have access to that, but you wouldn't play it before that effect basically. Um, and I don't think the throne itself is g that good, right? Like it's not that good to have access to, uh, where like if the, if the throne like reanimated creatures or something like that, that'd be another story. So I'm actually kind of lukewarm on this in EDH. Okay. I mean, you would run it in Sadisi, wouldn't you? Probably, but specifically because it's giving you a discrete mill effect every turn. Yeah. And that deck specifically wants that type because the way that it generates tokens, it wants different mill effects rather than just like dumping a bunch of cards at once. Sure. I like, um, uh, I like Draugr Necromancer as just a generally good card that doesn't need any particular synergy to just get slapped into a tier six, seven, eight deck and just do some work. Three and a black for a 4-4 four, four zombie cleric. <clears throat> Just being snow and zombie and cleric is going to give it a bunch of synergies that'll get it. And we'll end up seeing it appear in a bunch of deck lists. If a non-token creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead with an ice counter on it. And then you can cast those spells from among cards in exile as though you own them. Sorry, you may spend mana from snow sources as though it were mana of any color to cast those spells. So you play Snow Lands, Snow Basics, and Snow Duels, and anytime one of your opponent's creatures dies, you just get to recast it later. <laughs> that seems totally fine as a value engine. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that card right there is a good example. Him and the uh, Jorn are good examples of of what I have an issue with with this is, and I'm not the only person that noticed this, but I I also it bugs me is snow basics are basically uh, strictly better than normal basics now, yep. right? Like, and it's just it's just obnoxious because there's all these cool basics out there that they've spent years and years and years printing buckets of them, and now it's like oh well yeah, but the best thing you can do is run snow basics. Like, there's no reason not to. They're just better than normal basics. Uh, and it's a bummer that that is the case. Odd oddly, we haven't seen full art foil snow basics revealed for this set yet. I mean, do you think we will? I would have thought they'd be in at least the collector boosters, but as they were for Theros Beyond Death. But if they're not there, right. then the, the foil snow basics from Modern Horizons are probably going to do pretty decently. I wonder if they're gonna stick them somewhere else. I it just it just feels like bad like kind of like bad design. Like I, I don't know. I it just it leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. And the way that they 
setup called Heim, it just exacerbates the problem considerably because there's so many cards that care about the number of snow permanents you have that um, like you just have to run the snow basics. They did not do it in such a way that you don't have to care about them. Fair. Um, the Hold on. The card I want to draw your attention to here is uh, Burning Rune Demon. Uh, if you've heard of Runescar Demon, which is one of the most popular black cards in EDH, let me introduce you to Burning Rune Demon. So Runescar Demon is a seven mana, I think six, six, yep. which is a flyer uh, that just demonic tutors. And this is a six mana, six, six. When you cast it, you find two cards um, and you essentially factor fiction with two cards where, you know, you get your opponent tosses one in the trash and you get to put the other one in your hand. So uh let me give you an idea of how edh works the worst of the two cards you have available to you is still a good card so that is going to see some real play for being a six mana creature that demonic tutors and there's also the added feature that you can get real tricksy and go fetch two cards uh both of which are either good in your hand or in your graveyard and give your opponents no real meaningful choice sure i like uh and that's a mythic too, by the way. So those could end up being quite pricey. I like Goldspan Dragon. Five, oh, yeah. five mana for a four four flying haste. So it already does a does a solid beater impression. Whenever it attacks, it becomes the target of a spell. Create a treasure token. Treasures you control tap for two mana, not one, of any color. So let, they're they're piling on the treasure stuff, and we're going to get to the point here where any of the treasure stuff that is necessary but harder to come by is going to be worth solid money. Like the foil extended art of this will take longer than similar stuff at a Commander Legends to get there, but 18 months out, Goldspan Dragon foil extended art mythics are going to be 50, $40, $50, $60 for sure. Yeah, this, this thing doubling the effectiveness of your treasure tokens is significant. That is going to be very popular. There is a that is a huge jump going from one to two on those, and makes all those treasure token creators so good. And what is it that um, Dockside Extortionist? Man, if that doesn't see a reprint soon, that thing is going to end up being seventy dollars. It's like thirty five right now, and it's only going to get worse. Yeah, I just buy this at a bunch of them near forty last week. Yeah, and I honestly I think it could keep going at this rate just because they're with a card like this, it's oh, such a good enabler for it. Yup. Uh, what else jumps out at me? Ooh, I thought the Starnheim Unleashed looked bad and uninteresting. Might be fine in standard. You'll foretell it on turn two. And then, like, turn 12, you'll cast it, but that's not that interesting. Weathered Runestone is a fine-ish hate card, but um, I don't think those really matter all that much anymore. It's funny, because we're coming from Double Masters into Zendikar Rising with Expeditions into Commander Legends. Expectations have been set real high. And this is back to a set that is more standard-focused. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and so everything looks like there's a bunch of stuff here that looks standard playable but who gives a shit in the era of of covid yeah so i mean yep there's tons of rares here that like and uncommons that like the carter's vicious return this is a real strong saga two black red you may sacrifice a creature when you do return carter's vicious return deals three damage to any target so you get a bolt if you sack a creature presumably you wanted that creature dead anyway 
Each player discards a card on two. You probably wanted to do that anyway. And then on because on three, you return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on it, and it gains haste. I mean, in standard, that's pretty close to a show and tell. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like you're gonna sack some crappy token creature. Or a creature like you're gonna cast something that you got value off of, like acquisitions expert or something. Take a card out of their hand, and then the Carter's Vicious Return is gonna you're gonna sack it, deal three to their first creature, and everybody discards a card. They they lose a card, and you put the creature you wanted a, your giant demon or whatever that you want to bring back the next turn into play, and then you go off crazy the next turn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that saga is good. Sagas are all good, honestly. Um, Torolf, I like Torolf a lot. That's the the one that does the excess burn damage gets dealt to other stuff. My only problem with him, and I, I think he's just fine on the face. The equipment is is whatever. Um, again, again, he's mono red, which means he's not going to make a good commander. He'll show up in some EDH decks, but your deck has to be in the business of doing, having enough sources of non-combat damage for him to matter. Like if you're playing three effects, I don't think you bother. You probably have to have like seven or eight before you're, it's worth putting Toralf in. And I would guess most decks don't care that much. So he's really cool, but I don't know if he'll be all that popular. I had to pick the the sagas that are going to see the most GDH play. It certainly include Binding the Old Gods. That's the two black-green uncommon saga. Destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls on the first turn. So you immediately kill something. And then you search on the next turn, you search a library for a forest card, put it into the battlefield tap, then shuffle your library. On the third turn, your creatures get death touch. That's fine. The Trickster's, Trickster God's Heist, however, is probably... I, may, might be the best of the bunch. Two blue-black. When it first comes into play, you exchange control of two target creatures. So you're already swapping. On the next turn, you do it again, but now you do it for non-basic, non-creature permanents. In a multiplayer game, you're always going to have good good ways to make this work in your favor. <laughs> the- do you catch, by the way, that this doesn't say yours? Yeah, you can you can go chaos and, and swap two things on other players. Yeah. Yep. And then on the third yep. turn, it's a six-point life drain. So yeah. for four mana, that is plenty of fun at a, at a commander table. Yeah, I the so the Trickster God's Heist is very good. The The first ability is, is quite potent, and the second one is still going to be very solid. Could easily be better than the first one. Um, so I think that's going to get some play. Bind of the old gods, like it starts out at the top, right? Destroy the non land permanent. Um, and each ver- each mode after that is worse, but like that's fine. It's the the front half is is good enough. A four mana kill spell is you know behind the curve in, in EDH, but getting a land and a death touch attack later on is totally fine. And yes, and, absolutely. And the thing with sagas is if you're playing a deck that can bring them back. Or bounce and replay them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nasty. Yeah, yeah. There's some real value to be had there. Um, Rise of the Dreadmarn. I thought was a little kind of fascinating. This is the uh, create X two two black zombie berserker token. So create X zombies where uh, X is the number of non-token creatures that died this turn. So after someone wraths you cast this at instant speed and you get a token for every 
creature that died. So that's pretty reasonable. But what's interesting here is that it's got a foretell cost of one. So you foretell you you foretell this. I, I don't. How are we supposed to say this? You foretell it for two. Prior, you foretold it. You suspend for two. it. You yeah. You for you for foretold it. You for you for you foretell it, and then later on you foretold it. I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, getting to play this for getting to exile this for two early on in the game, and then just have it sit there and sit there, and just eventually someone's going to pull the trigger on a wrath and then you just get to make an army of zombies for one mana. Like it's going to be so easy to leave that up and you're just going to get to let it sit there, which is an interesting dynamic with the foretell cards that probably is going to go, isn't quite understood yet in any of the formats, which is you can foretell these and then just kind of have them sit out there and wait. Um, and in games that are going to go a little bit longer, the ability to, to sort of load that bullet into the chamber and then wait until it's time is going to be valuable um, because doing this for one means you either leave up your own mana to react to somebody else's wrathing or uh, it makes it a lot easier to kick it onto your own wrath so that you get paid for it. There's a couple different ways to go with that. I find myself wondering whether the best mythic brick to have might be Alrun's Epiphany given enough time. Five, five double blue sorcery create two one one blue bird creature tokens with flying take an extra turn after this one and then exile it you foretell it for four uh the foretell cost is four blue blue so you're going to pay two earlier in the game and then you're going to get a six mana time walk that gives you two bird tokens later yeah the the two bird tokens are like could basically could not be less relevant for the most part yeah. Um, so you're paying eight mana. You're paying eight mana for a time yeah, lock, yeah, though. Oh. Yeah, yeah, but it's commander. Oh. It's commander where you you had a turn where you had two mana left at some point. Yeah, which is fine. But like the pro- my problem with it is that your your payoff is six mana. Like, <laughs> like it's not like it's four or three. It's six. Like it's not. It's so bad. It's. So, it, it's not good on any number on that card. But, but I, I could see it being a thing in a control deck and standard. But there's no standard to be played. So maybe this gets down to bulk mythic status. And then sees a modicum of play in ADH. And turns into a brick double up. Maybe? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, if you can get a brick... If you can get these at, you know, 40 cents... I don't know what your normal brick price is on on Mythics is, but like if you can get it somewhere in that neighborhood, no, sure. No, it's not going to be forty cents on a Mythic, but no. so of all the Mythics in the set, you you get to <laughs> for that one it might be. <laughs> you get to pick one Mythic in the set to have a deep brick on. What are you picking? They're they're all, they're oh. all revealed, I think. Uh, hold on, I have to do a Scryfall search for this. Then where's my set option? Caldheim mythics let's see what do we got here the problem is i don't know what the the price are no you just assume they're all so, the same price i mean if they're all the same price it's goldspan dragon i think i think it's vorinclax if they're all the same price but vorinclax is going to be a lot more than oh, goldspan dragon i hadn't scrolled down that far yet uh yeah he's good too he's also good those are definitely the high end uh, I mean, if you, if I'm if I'm also guessing what the prices are, 
could be Allrun's Epiphany, but I want that under a dollar. Uh, Asika, God of the Tree, the one that flips into the five color enchantment, possibly. Halvar might not be terrible. I think Koma's boring. Like the pro so let me phrase that. Koma is a a blue green creature that doesn't just draw cards and make mana, which is nice to see because they've gotten into a real rut of those cards. But at the same time, it just feels like he's not that not that interesting. Feels slow, um, and like you're just not getting that much out of him. Halvar is going to be significant for all these for any equipment deck. I mean, creatures you control are enchanted that are enchanted or equipped have double strike. I mean, double strike is real dang good, and you're not playing an equipment deck without white, so he's going to go into virtually every single one of them. Fair. Uh, I think someone pointed out that Valkia is pretty cool because um, can't you... They said he's going to matter in modern because I think you can cast Skade into him and then cast the, plant, the Tibalt side for free. <laughs> yeah. If you cast Skade into a double-face card, you can cast either side, yeah. Yeah, so you Blood Raid Alpha, and the front base is Valkia, God of, Valky, God of Lies. Uh, it doesn't sound like Loki at all, guys. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> Valky, God of Lies. Sound, his name is Valky. Sounds a lot like Loki. Uh, well, just in case. intentional. I mean, this is all yes. all ripping off the, yes. the lore, so. Right, right, right. But it's just, man, like, really close. But you cascade into him who costs two. And the thing is, his, his the two-mana version, it's a two-mana two-one. When he enters the battlefield, uh, your opponent exiles a, for each opponent, exile a creature card until he leaves the battlefield. But you can then copy the creature they exiled. Like, you could turn Valky into a card that they exiled. So he's got kind of an interesting ability there. But the important thing is if you're Jund, you can, if you blood right into the front side of this, you can play him and exile a creature card from their hand, which is not stellar, but the real payoff is obviously you blood right into him and then flip it and play Tibalt Cosmic Imposter, who's a seven mana Planeswalker. So he enters a battlefield, you get that emblem that lets you spend mana, uh, you're probably right off the bat, you're just exiling an artifact or creature from them. The, the, top, the plus ability is exile the top card of their library, which is not like phenomenal. Honestly, the other side of this is, is kind of mild as a Planeswalker, but he's going to have a ton of loyalty, most likely, um, which is going to be obnoxious for your opponents. Yeah, you also get to, if you get him to eight with his emblem that he gives you immediately, then you get to cast all the cards out of all the graveyards up till that point <laughs> on the go yeah. forward. So yeah, it, I want... Val Valky could be, Valky could be the thing. I got to spend some more time with these mythics. I, I think Vorinclex is the most likely to be a great henge type. Yeah. That I see here. Cause the rest are more conditional. Torolf is also fairly, just probably goes in a bunch of red decks and gold span dragon. I, I think those are my three most likely to see the most play. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think gold span dragon. Well, no. So I don't think, I think Torolf is cool. I don't think he's going to be that popular. I think it's gold span dragon and born are probably one and two in some order. And Halvar, I would, I would guess is my number three or burning rune demon. 
Uh, well, yes, who did not actually show up in my search. That's correct. He's going to be very popular, too. Uh, I would also want a brick of him, but there's no way that will be cheap. Also, uh, actually, we haven't even mentioned this one yet. Eradicator Valkyrie might be being oh. underrated. It's a 4-3 for 4. Flying, lifelink, hexproof from planeswalkers. And if it's attacked at least once per turn, you can play one in a black, sack a creature, and each opponent sacks a creature or a planeswalker. Like, that can do a lot of work pretty quick. Yeah, I, I wasn't... As Seth, Seth was talking about this, and he said it seemed like a which call it. Uh, who's that flying little imp from Throne of Eldraine, the the legendary one, the legendary mythic? Uh, it's like Rune Swallow or. Oh no no no! You mean Rankle? Rankle. He said it's like a Rankle. It's like a Rankle to him. Very similar effect overall. Um, Seemed fair. Uh, yeah, I, I read Eradicator Angel. It did not blow me away. Nor I, but it's... what I'm looking for in a mythic that's going to take off over time is something that just people will pick up and put in a bunch of different decks, as opposed to a merfolk that goes with the latest merfolk commander that will be forgotten in a year. And yeah. Valkyrie is a, like, a if you're building a 5, 6, 7, 8 level commander deck, you can find reason to put this in a lot. If you've got tokens... This this gets even better, right? So, yeah, I, I get my problem with my only my problem with Eradicator is it it feels like you just you have to have several parts that work. Like, okay, I have to this has to get into play, and then I have to be able to attack with it, which is definitely not a foregone conclusion. And then I have to have the two mana, and then I have to have the token to sacrifice, and then I get my sack trigger. But it just seems like there's a lot of pieces that have to work there in order to get paid, and then your your payoff isn't that big. Like, if it was, if the boast was four mana, sack a creature, you may, everyone has to sack a creature, you get to take one of the creatures your opponent sacrificed and put it in the play, like, then I'd be on board, because then there'd be a real payoff for it, but it seems like you're not really getting that. I don't know, it just doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. Fair enough. I... Did you notice, am I missing something here? Is there no giant commander card? You mean legendary giant? Yeah, or any legendary creature that would encourage you to play giants? Not yet. I did not see one because, like, uh, where is he? Quakebringer is pretty significant. This is is one of the other mythics, actually. He's a 5 on a 5-4, all red. Your opponents can't gain life. That's that's good right there. Like in EDH, that is a significant piece of, of rules text that will be easy to miss at first glance. Um, and at the beginning of your upkeep, he deals two damage to every opponent. Uh, and he does that whether he's in play or if he's um, in your graveyard. True. And you can control a giant. And he's got a foretell cost. It's, it's not bad either. Um, I mean, he's pretty cool. Uh, but we don't, have a, we don't have a giant commander, I don't think. And there's another giant card here or two in here as well that's decent. And there's some giant support from Lorwyn that could make that, you know, kind of a tier three tribal deck, which, like I said, is not the hugest deal. People don't love tribal decks as much as you might think they do, but uh, there's like nothing here. They also gave you Calamity Bearer, which is a three, four giant berserker for four, and it doubles damage dealt by giants. Yeah, that one too. Like between him and 
the this guy the quake bringer like those are significant cards like those are cool giants i want to use these giants but where am i supposed to play them yeah we don't have we don't have the uh the fancy giant yet no and they also i'm also like these are good cards but it's kind of annoying that you have a giant that's a four mana three four and then a five mana five four like are these giants Eh, i don't know they don't feel giant to me. I feel like giants like at the bare end, the low end should be fives, and then six and seven mana. And like your your set your giant deck should look more like a ramp deck, where you're playing pieces that kind of get you to your big giants, like the way Lorwyn played it. I think what I'm seeing is that Keldheim is more of a fun set with a standard EDH focus than it is a Throne of Eldrain high power level set. Yeah. This looks like a we're not going to print more Okos and Once Upon a Times kind of set. Bunch of bunch of there's, there's some very strong designs in here, um, but it feels like they pulled back on the power level. I would agree. It feels like this is way down on power level. It it hits much stronger on these, um, the flavor tropes than like Throne of Eldraine did. Uh, it's a very cool uh, <laughs> setting. Uh, pretty flavorful, pretty dynamic, but I would agree with you that the the power level is low. Not only it feels definitely standard focus, and not even really that much EDH focus, to be honest. I mean, it's just like there's cards in here that are fine in EDH, but it's not not like it's overwhelming in power level for EDH either. Oh, by the way, this Terrigrid God of Fright. Did you mention him? No. The when I, the five mana four five black God. When an opponent sacrifices a permanent or discards a permanent, you can put it under your control. Just, you get it. Every time they discard a card or sack a permanent, you get it. <laughs> that card right there is actually, might actually be like the best EDH card in the set. Yeah, as a rare, it didn't come up in the Mythic discussion, but the flip side's crazy too, because Turgrid's Lantern is a three black legendary artifact. Target player loses three life unless they sacrifice a non-land permanent or discard a card. And then you can pay four to untap it, so you can just go to town once you're in the mid game. Yeah, I don't, I don't see like because of the way EDH works, you don't get to benefit from both sides of this in the way that you do in standard. Um, but yeah, just just playing Turgrid face side up, creature creature side up, and EDH is going to be a payoff here for sure. Well, in black, the way you do it is whatever side you wanted originally. When you want to flip sides, you let it die. And then you bring it back to your hand. Uh, well, I'm not talking about as a commander. Again, I don't think that you play this as a commander. Well, no, but it doesn't even matter if it's your commander. You can just let it die. <clears throat> it dies, goes to your graveyard, and then you can bring it back, recast it, right? <clears throat> as the other side. What, wait, how are you getting it back from your graveyard? With what a black card that brings back creatures. Oh, just any random yeah. effect. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, I don't play those. I wouldn't know. <laughs> anyway there's plenty of fun gods and trolls and giants and stuff and also the do you like the alt borders i do i do they're not my favorite of all the ones they have put out but i think they're they hit the theme very well i think they look pretty decent i think some of them look very cool it is a little over all, all over the place. The the Furja Judge of Valor, Judge of Valor, the one of the Black White Angels. I think Freya, I believe. Freya, sure. Uh, I don't love that artwork. I think that's kind of messy. But I think the Asika God of the Tree all art is very cool looking. 
that sort of like drenched in green humming with power effect is good. Tur grid I thought was pretty boring and, and not dynamic. Um, but yeah, several of them have looked good. The, uh, the Mori, I have no idea. Mori of the frost seems like it's a holdover from the, uh, oh boy. Uh, Aquaria art file. Sure. The, um, worth flagging, there are at least three versions of Vorinclex. Well, I shouldn't say at least. There are three versions of Vorinclex. There's the regular version, there's the showcase version, uh, which is pretty cool. He's like ripping some flesh apart or whatever. And then there's a Phyrexian language version, like the Elish Norn Judge Foil. But we don't know mm -hmm. where you get that version yet or what its drop rate is. I suspect that ends up being the Vorinclex you want to be in on at its low. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I would agree, depending on what the price points are. But yeah. <laughs> they, they put that and they put that as being in the set and then they're going to make it like virtually impossible to get a hold of this damn card. It's going to be as rare as the Elish Norn was. $700 card. I'm looking at, looking over the foil extended arts. There's some nice art in this set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is. Some of these are pretty cool. Uh, Planeswalkers, nobody even cares about anymore. Yeah, none of the Planeswalkers jump out at me as being a real big deal. No. I mean, when was the last time? Oko. It's been a year since we cared. Alrighty. So where can people find you online, partner? Oh, I'm on Twitter. At WizardBumpin. B-U-M-P-I-N. You guys in foot? Uh... As always. Yeah, sorry. Where are you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MGGCritic, as well as via uh, occasional articles from MGGPrice.com, and I'm constantly haunting the ProTrader Discord, which, of course, I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out at MGGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Gotta tell you, I had multiple pro traders uh, tell me just today that they wanted to upgrade from monthly to annual so they could save a couple months for free. Uh, so yeah. satisfied are they uh, with their experience. <laughs> uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering, single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast, which wraps up episode 254. A good one as always. And uh, we can finish up Kaladesh next Cal time. week. Kaldheim. Kaldheim, Kaladesh, whatever. It's all the same crap. I don't care. Uh, I'll see you next no, week, James. You're missing. One of them stole culture from South Asia. The other one is stealing culture from the nordic countries it's a whole uh, whole right. different theft well one of them stole culture in a way that we're unhappy with and the other one is leaning into a culture that's making everyone nervous because <laughs> white guys with beards <laughs> right. and the celtic nordic thing is a real touchy subject i wonder how like if wizards is like feeling a little icky about that right yeah, now sure anyway thank you travis thank you everybody we'll see you all next week on another episode of mtg fast finance Thank you.